title of the message today is The Christian's Crown. The Christian's Crown. You know, the Bible speaks of crowns. In fact, the Bible speaks of five crowns as it relates to the Christian. Look, listen to this verse, four verses. Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So we have a heavenly scene. We have a prophetic scene that John gets, and he is thrust into the future to see something that is typical, but that will be a reality in every Christian's life. Listen, if you know Jesus as your Savior, that's the greatest privilege that anyone could have. And for someone who knows Jesus, there is a certain destination that all of us have, and that is the place called heaven. And heaven is more glorious than you've ever heard preached, than you've ever heard sung, or that any preacher's tongue could tell. It is a place of no sorrow, no suffering, no sin. Most of all, it's a place where Jesus is, and it's a place where our family is going to gather. Now, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We gathered, and, and it was just so wonderful as we ate together and laughed together and had fun together. But there's another family that we have, a broader family, and that's our church family. That's our Christian family. That's the family of believers and we all are going to gather around the table of the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And forever and ever, we're going to celebrate His grace. John has a, a vision of heaven. Notice what he sees. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now look at me again. There is an after this. You hear that? There is an after this life. I want you to think about that today. There's an after this. There's an after this life. We're, we're blessed with life. We're blessed with the date of our birth, but there will also be a date of our death when we will leave this world and we will go to this place called heaven. And he said in verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. What a glorious place. Verse 4, around the throne were, now notice this, were 24 thrones. Around the throne of God, 24 thrones. And on the throne, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. Now notice this. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Today, I want us to think about these crowns. I've titled the message, The Christian's Crown. The Christian's Crown. Let's look inside today. One of these days, every person, every believer, and every person, every person lost or saved, will one day leave this earthly life, and we're going to enter eternity. Now, what we need to know is that not everyone's eternity will be the same. We know that. We know that very clearly from Scripture. Not everyone's eternity will be the same. For some, eternity will be greater than anything you can imagine. As our brother Jarrah said, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, more glorious than we can imagine. But for others, eternity will be the opposite. It will be more horrible than anyone could ever imagine. What will determine that? What, will deter what determines what our eternity looks like. And the answer to that is very straightforward in Scripture. It has to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on our relationship with Jesus Christ. For those who said, yes, Jesus, I love you. Yes, Jesus, I trust you completely for my salvation. For that person, it will be one eternity. For those who've said no to Jesus... Or to those who have neglected or waited too late, it will be a completely different 
eternity. The question is, to every person on this planet, what have you done with Jesus? Peter said it this way, Therefore, it is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Notice, he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. For those who say Jesus to me is precious, they will have one eternity. But notice, he goes on. But to those who are disobedient... That's unbelieving. That's rejecting. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Notice a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. For those who say yes to Jesus and he's precious, there's a certain appointment. There's a certain predestination for a believer. There's also a certain predestination for an unbeliever. To one, he's precious. To other, he's not only precious. They say, no to Jesus. I don't have time for you. I don't want you. And for many, and maybe most, time will run out. Time will run out. When our earthly lives are complete, and we step from this life into eternity, I speak to believers now, we're going to stand before him. We're going to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to stand before the creator of the world, our Lord Jesus. We're going to stand before him that has done more for humanity than anyone. He created this world in six days. There's a little bit of controversy over a little song uh, that, you know, but I have more than a song that a man wrote. I have a word of God. I believe in creation. I believe that he, that the Lord spoke and he created a planet that men would serve him. But men served. Adam, or uh, man sinned. Adam sinned. Adam, Adam and Eve plunged the human race into sin. The Lord could have, in his justice, and, and listen, been right in doing so. He could have said, good riddance to him. Even to Moses, he said, I'll start over if you want me to. But Moses, being a type of the Lord, Jesus said, no, 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 no. He's like the mediator. Jesus is our great mediator. And God sent his son 2,000 years ago, of which we will celebrate this month, the great advent of our Lord. He did that because of his mercy. He did that because of his great love. And he lived 33 and a half years. He lived like no other. He lived without sin in word, thought, or deed. The holy Lamb of God, perfect in every way. And no one took his life from him. John says that in John 10, he says, no one takes my life, but I willingly lay my life down. He did everything he did willingly because he loved you and I. He loves his people. And we're going to stand before him one day. We're going to stand before Jesus. My question to you is, what will he say to you? What will he say to you and I? My hope. My hope is, and I trust that your hope also, is that you will hear those incredible words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord forever. There, to me, there could, be no greater, there could be no greater blessing. There could be no greater thing to happen than to know that in eternity, as you stood before the Lord, as we stand before the Lord, that the life that we live and the service that we offer to the Lord, that it was so pleasing to him that he says, in a sense, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Well done. You've done my will. You've done my purpose. You've served me. Well done. Enter into the joys of the Lord forever. Now, though I, though I hope that every child of God will hear those words. The truth is, I know it's not so. And I know it's not so because the Bible indicates that that just like the lost and the saved will have a different eternity. Now we talk just about the saved. Even the saved will have a different eternity. And I'm going to tell you what it's predicated on in a moment. 
Because the Bible says there are some believers who will shrink back when he comes. Instead of longing, enjoying for his presence, there are those that confess his name that will shrink back. John says it this way. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The indication of those words is that there, there may be some and there will be some who shrink back and will, will be ashamed and won't have that confidence because they've not made their calling and their election sure. So why would a believer be ashamed at the presence of Jesus? Here's what we need to know. Salvation is a free gift of God to believing sinners. Please, please, don't ever forget that great doctrinal fact. Salvation is the free gift of God to believing sinners. No one can ever earn their way to heaven. Only Jesus could earn it for us, and he earned it in his death and his burial and his resurrection. As we took the bread, as we took the, the juice this morning, we celebrated the greatest work to ever be done, and that is the work of redemption, which only Jesus could do, and I could not do for myself. I fall upon his mercy I, you, and I need his grace desperately today. Salvation is the free gift of God to believing sinners. But although, although salvation is the free gift of God to believing sinners, rewards are different. Rewards must be earned. Did you hear what I said? Listen, I didn't say salvation could be earned, but what I said to you is this. Salvation is the free gift of God to believing sinners, but rewards are something that the believer must earn. How are they earned? That's what I want to talk about. How are these crowns that we see the elders wearing, how are they earned? How were they earned? And the answer to that is just this. The rewards are earned by the quality of service that we as Christians offer the Lord during our entire Christian journey. Did you capture that? Did you hear what Pastor said? The qual- it, 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 the, our rewards will be determined by the quality of our Christian service to Jesus Christ during, from the moment we said yes to Christ to the moment we take our last breath, our rewards will be determined by the quality and by the faithfulness with which we served our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who are the elders? Who are the elders? We get, a, we get a, an insight into who the elders are. And there's some difference of opinion, but what most scholars believe is that these 24 elders are a representative group. They're representative of a larger group. In other words, that they represent the entirety of the believing community of faith. In other words, the 24 elders represent the entire church in heaven. How do, why do we think that? Because chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, they go together and we hear the elders saying something. Notice what they say in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they, the elders, sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Now notice this. And have redeemed us to God by your blood. Say that with me. Have redeemed us to God by your blood. How? Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And have made us kings and priests, and we to God, and we shall reign on the earth. We get an insight of who they are. Angels are not redeemed. You know who's redeemed? Adam's fallen race. He, did, he died for the seed of Abraham, Hebrews says. So think about this. You redeemed us by the blood. See, our acceptance into heaven is because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I know this. I want to be in that number. 
I want to be in that number. When that number's called, I want to be in that number. When the trump sounds, I want to be in that number. I want to have my, my garments clean. I want to have my heart ready. I want to be ready and eager for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be there, and I want you to be there. I told that we had a wonderful men's class today as we talked about our lesson was on the eagerness, having an eager heart for the coming of the Lord. And I enjoyed our interaction our men had this morning. J.R. said he's been coming to church since 8.30 since he was saved, and he did it this morning because we started our class at 8.30. Amen. I want to be there with you. I want to be around the throne. I want to be celebrating with you. But not all are going to be there. Psalm says this in 1 and 5. Psalm it says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The, see, what lost people don't know is the greatest blessing they have are Christians all around them. The greatest blessing to this world is the church. The greatest blessing in your office is you. You're like salt that's sprinkled on the corruption all around. You're a light. You're a light of mercy. You're a message to them. You're, you're a demonstration of the grace and the converting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are these 24 elders? They represent the redeemed. But notice, they're wearing crowns. They're wearing crowns. What do the crowns mean? Well, the crowns, I think they represent rewards. That the Lord, these are the Lord's crowns that he gives to his people. That he gives to his children. They're the eternal rewards. They're the, the blessings for faithful service to the Lord. See, what we need to know is this. There are, there are many things that we can't do. There are many things that I, don't, I, I can't do. There are many things that I don't have the gifts or talents to do. But the Lord hasn't called me to do that. He just called me to do what I can do. And if I will do what I am called to do faithfully, I'll get a crown and you'll get a crown. Paul talked about the glory he talked about the glory after this life. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul is talking about what I'm talking about today. That as we leave earthly life, when we step into eternity, that he said, I'm looking for the glory that shall be revealed. Paul, Jesus, or John talked about the reward. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. And behold, Jesus speaking, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. To give everyone according to his work. Hear this. Salvation is a free gift of God to believing sinners, but rewards are different. Rewards have to be earned. And the rewards will be determined by the quality of service of which we offer Jesus down here. Each of us has a task. You have a task. God's called you here to Trinity Life. God's called us to do great work on this hill. I can't do it alone. Ah, listen, I'm not foolish enough to think. I need every single one of you desperately, desperately to fulfill your task. And when you're given a task, you, you're given the ability to do the task. God has put a call upon your life. And it relates to this church right here. It relates to the work of God. And then there's going to come an, an accounting day that's going to happen as God evaluates your task and evaluates my task. That he gave me the will of God, the purpose of God, the call of God. And we're going to give an account of how we lived and the quality of our service to the Lord. Paul was so, was so in awe of that moment that I'm speaking of this morning that he said this in Listen to these words. This is Paul. This is the great apostle Paul that did more for Christianity than any human being to ever live. That sacrificed probably more than any human being outside of Jesus Christ, than anyone who's ever lived. You would think, you would think serving the Lord in that manner, that, that would, he would have such a, he would be overconfident. Look what I've done for you, Lord. No, it was the complete opposite. And here's what he said. 
Paul. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Listen, he says, every day of my life, I'm not worried about all the opinions of people. I'm certainly saying, I certainly know that he would not ever want to purposely offend anyone. I think the apostle was very kind and very gentle and very considerate. But, but his ultimate goal wasn't to please everyone, but it was to please Jesus. And then he says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one of us, that's the church. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Talking about the church, whether the Christian, whether his task, has, has he served well or, or not well. Notice Paul's attitude, verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And, but we are well known to God. God knows our heart. God knows the way we're serving but we also trust are well known to your conscience. Hmm. There's a parable that Jesus gave, and I'll just mention it, touch on the high points. Jesus in Matthew 25 and verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered them his goods to them. Now Jesus is that man Jesus is the one who's given us his goods and he's traveled to a far country and he's gone. He's gone. He's not here right now. Yes, by Holy Spirit presence, Christ is here, always with us, of course. But his Holy Spirit is here, but his physical presence is not here. But listen, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, we have been loaded down with his goods. We've been blessed, Ephesians 1.3, been blessed with all spiritual blessings. We have everything we need to fulfill his task. We have the awesome, amazing dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. You know, he's all we need. He's all we need. I mean, if he wasn't all we need, then Jesus would give him something else. But he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You have power to do his will. You have an anointing to do his will. You have power from God to build this church. But he's gone. He delivered the goods. He called his servants. He gave the one five talents, another two talents, and he gave the one gentleman one talent. And the scripture says that he left for a far country. And while he was gone, two of those gentlemen, the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, they got busy. And, and the interesting thing is the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, the five-talent guy did more. He got twice as much. And, and the two-talent guy got more, but he didn't do as much. But that wasn't the issue. The issue is God knows our gifts, our talents. He knows what we can do. You're not called to do what you can't do. You're called to just simply whatever your hand finds to do, do that. If you're a good usher, just be a good usher. I'm telling you, if I wasn't a preacher, I'd be an usher. I'd be a greeter. One of my favorite things to do. You may think I'm crazy, but I love it. I love to stand out front of the church and greet you on Sunday morning. I love it. I love it. And that's one of the things that this building's done to us. You know, we had, you know, 10 exits over there. We'll have eight more exits over there, and I won't be able to do it so much because everybody comes in a different way. But I absolutely love saying to you, welcome to the house of God. I love that. If you're a greeter, greet with grace. If you're a deacon, help pastor serve. Help me. If you're a prayer warrior, pray. If you're someone that has means, give so that we can build the work of God, a place of worship that we can proclaim his name. But these three guys, they weren't all the same. The five-talent guy, the two-talent two guy, and then there was the one-talent guy. But listen, the Lord came back. The one who owns it all came back. See, because those gifts that he gave out those goods that he gave out did not belong to the five-talent guy, didn't belong to the two-talent guy, didn't belong to the one-talent guy. It belonged to the master. It belonged to the Lord. Do you know that everything you have doesn't belong to you? It belongs to the Lord. Our, our bodies belong to him. Our time, our talents, all that he's blessed us with, our personality. You, say, well, you, you may say, well, I don't like my personality. Well, it's what he gave you. Live with it, right? But you're just like he wants you to be. How many people have you met in life? They're so dissatisfied with who they are. They live their whole life trying to be a cheap imitation. You know, there's no one just like you. 
There's no one that can take your place. You know, some people are quiet people. Thank God some people are quiet people. Amen. <laughs> some people talk and they talk and they talk and they just, they're more people persons. And we need those people too, right? There's artistic people. I can't even really draw a good stick figure. You know, it's like, what is that? That's a stick man. Don't you know what that is? But there's some people that Brittany is amazing. I think she's out with the kids. She's an art teacher. It's, I'm amazed at people who just have such incredible gifts. There's some people that, that have the, the, the gift of organization. You know, they, some people can come in and all they see is their little task. But there's some people that can come in and see the whole picture and say, oh, I know what we need to do. You can do this and let's get together. And then all of a sudden, when they get on the, pic, on the scene, everything falls in place and we need everyone. But notice in the story, here's the point. They had to give an account. And the five-talent guy was just busy doing what he could do and he gained five more. And the two-talent guy... Gained, gained some more, and he was, he was blessed. But the, the one guy, the one guy, first of all, he really didn't know the Lord because he said, you're a hard man, and he wasn't a hard man. The Lord's not a hard man. Some people think the Lord's a hard man. He gets blamed for all the negative things in the world. Why don't we blame the one who's really to blame? That's the devil. The devil is the devourer. The devil's behind drug addiction and alcoholism and marriages busted up and, and, and just all these things. Satan does that. Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. And then he said, what would you do with your talent, son? He said, I, I just buried it. You, you remember what the Lord called him? Anyone remember? Called him a wicked and a lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. And he, he, what he had was taken away and given to the one who had ten talents. He gave the five-talent guy that got more. I believe if that man had just tried, he didn't even try. He didn't even try to serve the Lord. He didn't even try to do anything. He just, cut, he just surrounded the wagons and said, I'm just going to wait till Jesus comes, so to speak. That's not what the church is all about. We've got to get busy. And I'm not, I'm not saying just busyness, just doing stuff. I'm saying let's do his will. Let's serve him. Let's build the church that he has said we're to build in his word. Let's just do what we can do. Let's do what we can do. You know the Bible speaks of the crowns. I want you to get a crown. Now I'm going to go through these quickly. The Bible speaks of five crowns. There's five crowns. I won't take long on each one. But each one of them has to do with a different aspect of service to the Lord. And, and the first one's an incorruptible crown or an imperishable crown found in 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. They're disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a what? A perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. An imperishable crown. All the, all the glory that men give in this world is going to fade but there is a glory that doesn't fade. And Paul talks about a crown that doesn't fade. An incorruptible crown. An imperishable crown. Well, Pastor, how do I get this crown? You, as you read 1 Corinthians 9, you found out Paul is talking about sacrificial service to the Lord. Paul's talking about his rights as an apostle. And he said, I didn't use those rights. He's talking about, I lived in a sacrificial way. And then he starts talking about an imperishable crown. The way that we get this crown, this crown is, is earned by sacrificial service to the Lord. There are many people in this Christian age over the last 2,000 years who've sacrificed greatly for the church of Jesus Christ. Greatly. There's people that had great wealth. I, think of the, I can't think of the gentleman's names. I think it's Stud, C.T. Stud. He was a great cricket player, great sportsman in England, wealthy beyond measure, literally gave everything up to the Lord. Gave all his wealth away. He went and served the Lord. If my memory serves me correct, and I may not be quite correct on this, but I, I may have the name wrong, but the story's right. Uh, I think it was the, the one who was going to inherit the Borden, the Borden family. The, you see the Borden dairy products? Years and years ago, I think a son or a grandson 
gave up all of that and went, went to the Middle East to be a missionary to the Muslims, died on the way. Never got to the field, died at like 29, got some disease. You say it's a waste. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? Jesus knew all that. Jesus talked about the necessity of sacrifice for, for true kingdom service to him that's going to please him. Th think about this. There is no such thing as convenient service for the Lord. It doesn't exist. Well, you know, when, 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 uh, when, uh, you know, when I can get around to it or when it's convenient, I'm going to serve the Lord. There is absolutely no such thing as conveniently serving the Lord. Listen to this. If you are going to get a crown, it's going to cost you. Your salvation's already been paid for. If you're going to get the well done, good and faithful servant, it's going to cost you. It's always going to cost you. Jesus talked about if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Luke 18, Peter said, see, we've left everything. We've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left houses, parents, brothers, wives, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Notice, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. There is blessing in serving the Lord. And when you serve the Lord down here, there's blessings, but the greater blessings are in eternity. And I want you to remember this quickly. Nothing we sacrifice for the Lord is ever wasted, nor is it ever lost. The Lord watches over us. The Lord keeps a great set of books. I don't regret saying to my young daughter years ago, you won't be on the cheerleading squad anymore. Why, Daddy? Because now they want to practice on Sunday. We don't practice on Sunday. That's the day of worship and rest and family. We don't give that. Okay. Today she's 31. She's a pastor's wife. And serves the Lord vibrantly. I don't regret saying no. Matthew says this. He who receives a prophet in the name of the pro a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a, of, of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, hear this, he shall by no means lose his reward. Every time you have prayed a prayer for this church, in the quiet of your secret closet at home. No one heard it. No one will ever hear it. But the Lord heard it. Whatever you've given in offerings to help us build this church. No one will ever know. But the Lord knows. You will not lose your reward. The Lord sees what we do. Storing up treasures in heaven demands that we engage in sacrificial service and kingdom business now. You can't wait and say, well, I'm going to, in heaven, I'm going to wait up there. No, no, now we lay treasure up in heaven. We lay treasure up in heaven because where your treasures, your heart will be. We lay treasure up in heaven by giving sacrificially to the work of God and his gospel and his church. We lay up treasure in heaven by serving and loving each other and building and making his church strong. We lay treasure up in heaven when we do kingdom heavenly business now while we're on this earth. And it will be there when we get there. An incorruptible crown is, like, is, for, the, is for those who, like Paul, sacrificed and suffered loss, great loss, for Jesus Christ. Paul's loss. Paul lost. Greatly earthly. In an earthly sense. But his earthly loss. Was heavenly gain. He said it in Philippians 3. But what things were gained to me. These have I counted loss. Indeed. I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of the Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Completely 
nothing, nothing uh, materially, nothing. Prison, beatings, loss of friendship, physical suffering, loneliness. And yet today, Paul is a rich man. And certainly he will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Now quickly, there's a crown of rejoicing. 1 Corinthians 2.18. Paul said in verse 19 of that verse, What is my hope? What is my crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This crown, this crown of rejoicing is the believer's, is the soul winner's crown. The Bible said, He that wins souls is wise. Daniel said, those who turn many to righteousness are like the stars that will shine forever and ever. We have a testimony like that. Well, all of us are those testimonies, are we not? Every single one in this room, someone was instrumental in bringing you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Many years ago, this young man that prayed our beautiful prayer today, he walked in my office lost and a drug addict. Lost without Jesus, a drug addict. And heading toward an empty life. But Jesus showed up. Jesus, in his, in his delivering, saving gospel power, stepped into that office after two hours of prayer and counseling and scripture and repentance, and the tears flowed, and, and the Holy Spirit gave life out of death. Now he's in Bible college, serves our church wonderfully. What a day of rejoicing it's going to be when we're together there. It's a soul winner's crown. Think about souls. So valuable a soul is that Jesus left heaven. God so loved the world he gave. So valuable that Jesus, he looked at lost people and he had compassion on them. Matthew says he saw the multitude. He didn't say, look at those wicked sinners. They get what they deserve. That's not what he said. It said, and this, this term is used, I think, 13 times in the New Testament. He was moved with compassion. That term is used 13 times, if I'm not mistaken. 11, 11 of the 13, it has to do with his compassion on someone sick, and he healed them. But here it has to do with lost people. They're weary. They're scattered. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He had a love for them. You know what Jesus did? He went to where lost people were. I mean, if we never have any contact with lost people, something's wrong. You need contact with lost people. I was at a party the other day, and they, you know, there was mostly Christians. There were some lost people there. They were drinking and this and that. I didn't go around and go, hey, stop all this drinking. I just didn't drink. But I was there because I was invited. We need contact. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which is lost. He sought lost people. He tells us, Ezekiel said it this way, My sheep wandered throughout all the mountains and on every hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking and searching for them. You know, part of what we do with our nativity and this stuff is really to get the attention of lost people so they can know that we're alive and we care. I know that an activity won't sail, nor will a harvest fest save, uh, save anyone. But what it will do is give us contact. So maybe we'll get a witness. Maybe we'll reach someone. Then there's the crown of righteousness. Finally, Paul said, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me also, but also to those who love his appearing. The crown of righteousness, what is that? It's simply this, that... Um, at salvation, we're imputed with righteousness. That's called justification. During our lives, the Holy Spirit works practical righteousness in us. Has ever God ever worked in your life in an area? Certainly. 
maybe a gossip area, and you just and the Holy Spirit said, "What are you doing? You got, don't be gossiping." And you got convicted, and you repented, and that's the Holy Spirit doing that. Or maybe some area that you struggled in, and the Holy Spirit gave you power over it. So he's, that, that's called sanctification. But then in eternity, when we step into eternity, Christ's righteousness will be perfected in us. And we call that glorification. Paul talked about it in Galatians. For, though, for through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We wait for the hope of righteousness well, I thought we were already righteous. We are. By faith, we are. By faith, we are justified, but we're not complete yet. I'm looking for the glorification. When he transformed our lowly bodies into like unto his glorious body. Peter, Paul said it this way. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice this. For whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also uh, justified. And whom he justified. He also glorified. That's a prophetic verse. Crown of, then there's a crown of life. James, the half-brother of our Lord, said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he is approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promises to those who love him. What's the crown of life? I think the crown of life is simply this, that, we, you know, as Christians, we go through trials. We go through storms. We go through men of many difficulties as we seek to enter the final kingdom of God. And there's times that you and I are tempted to give up. It's hard. It's hard to build the church, hard to serve the Lord in this wicked world. And you feel like giving up. But the crown of life will be for those who in the midst of troubles, trials, difficulties, they remain faithfully in love with Jesus and they served him in perseverance. In the first century, they were pressured to recant their faith in the first century. Jesus said, be faithful to death and you will receive the crown of life. But I think in our modern day that there's a different pressure. The result is just as bad, but it's a different pressure to recant our faith. We don't have the, the Roman Caesars saying, recant your faith or you'll be burned at the stake. But there's another kind of pressure. It's more subtle, but it's just as bad. And you say, what is that? That's the love of the world. John said, do not love the world, the things of the world. Listen closely. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it is, it is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of, the Father, will of God abides forever. Notice, notice how clear this is, and I'm almost finished. You cannot do the will of God, love God, and follow Jesus, and follow the world system at the same time. It's, it's absolutely impossible. You're either going to love God, or love the world. But you won't do both at the same time. And here's, what, here's where the pressure is. Many believers in our modern day make an empty profession of Christ. But in actuality, they've recanted him by, the, by demonstrating their loyalty to the world and all of its pleasures. Can that happen? Yes. James said this again. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, listen, who, whoever... Uh, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. We get the crown of life by continually serving the Lord, loving the Lord, keeping ourselves in his love. I close with this last one as our musicians are coming. Peter talks about one more crown. This is the fifth one. I see some of you writing notes. And that's the crown of glory. The crown of glory. Listen to Peter's words. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Aren't these beautiful words? Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, 
nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, I love that. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a lot of things that men do in this world. They pour their whole heart, all their energies in pursuit of. And it won't last beyond this life. It's going to fade in eternity. But this verse is for the pastors. And not just for this pastor, any pastor, and every pastor. Whatever capacity. And I think this would also include deacons. They're, they're shepherds in a sense. We shepherd together. None of that will ever be lost. No, no faithful pastor will ever regret serving. I've had more, I cannot tell you the number of people I've had say, man, I would never want to be a preacher. I've had so many people tell me that, and I go, well, thanks a lot. But I don't regret saying yes to Jesus in salvation, and I don't regret saying yes to him in service when he called me to preach. And I thank you, church, for loving my family. Thank you for being kind to us, gracious to us. Just a month or so ago, you celebrated Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Cards and thanks and, and just, that, that helps us just to, not, we don't live for that, of course, but what a blessing to just to know that we're doing the best we can. I had a pastor friend of mine this pastor's in East Texas, and he told me this here in the last two weeks. And he didn't, he said, there was no, there was no, there was no harshness with this. But he said, you know, Brother Joe, on Pastor Appreciation Sunday, all over the nation was celebrating Pastor Appreciation Day. He said, do you know that my church never even said a word, never said a word to this day? I thought, Jesus, help us, Lord. I thought, maybe our church could send him a little offering and say, we love you. I'm serious. I'm serious. Our board, I want to send him an offering to let him know he's loved and we appreciate his service to the Lord. He's a sweet man. He's a sweet man. Served his church over 20 years. And to not just say, thank you, I just don't understand that. But you know what? My friend in East Texas is going to get a crown of glory. He's going to get a crown of glory. I want you to stand. I have one more verse and then we're going to pray. Revelation 3.11. I want you to, if you put this on the screen, please. Here's the warning. This is a warning from Jesus. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. This message today has been for the church. It's not for the lost, but it's for us to remember that Jesus saved us to serve him. And I want you to know this, because here's the thing. We all want to do more for the Lord. I understand that. But I want everyone under the sound of my voice to know how important what you do here is. You know, these folks serving as the, 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 in, the, in the sound and in the video today and putting the PowerPoint together and, the, and Brother Steve does the, 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 uh, runs the, uh, leads the cameras and Maria is on the camera and those that serve with, with just hospitality and donuts and those who set chairs and take them down and put them up and those who teach, it just, there's so much we can do for the Lord. And what you do matters. And small or great, whatever it is, if you do it for Jesus with a, with a sincere heart, you're going to hear a well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, there's, there's so many people, thousands and millions of Christians who, who never even moved 100 miles from their, their own, where they were born. 
and they went to the same church and they, they, they lived there and they grew old there and they, they never went on the mission field, but they were faithful to pray and support the work of the Lord. Or maybe they couldn't go to the mission field, but they gave maybe $20, $100 a month or $50 a month to missions. They're going to get just as much reward because they did what God called them to do. And I think the message for us today about the Christian's crown as we conclude is this. That whatever we do, let's do it to the best of our ability. And let's do it faithfully. I told our men today, I don't want to be the hare. I want to be the tortoise. I do. I want to be the tortoise. I want to be that, I want to be that pastor they say, every Sunday, pastor had a good word for us. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be able to preach like the evangelist that the crowd waves hankies and everybody gets whipped up into it. That's not my calling. But every Sunday to know that I prayed during the week and... I brought you my best and when I lay my head down they lay me in an old casket I want them to be able to say he did faithfully what he was called to do week after week year after year, month after month, decade after decade serve the Lord faithfully that's what God calls us to faithfulness so as we conclude this time I think our prayers for all of us to look inside and say, Lord, help me to be faithful. Could we all just pray that? Just close our eyes. Father, help us to be faithful. Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to serve you faithfully. But I know there's so many trials and temptations and there's so many worldly things pulling at us and so many pleasures. So many pleasures are pulling at us. But Lord, help us to deny ourselves. Help us to take up our cross. Help us to be faithful. I surrender my life to you afresh and anew. I say, yes, Jesus, I want to serve you. Maybe you could say that wherever you serve, Lord, I want to be the best usher I can be. I want to be the best deacon I can be. I want to be the best church member I can be. I want to be the best youth pastor, best children's leader. I want to serve with an eager heart and a sincere heart of love and mercy. Help us to be faithful. Thank you, Jesus.